Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org slash match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. The Florida legislature has been in session for about a month, and so far lawmakers have passed COVID liability protections for businesses. And in the next six weeks, the House and Senate will have to agree on a budget, and they'll debate a host of other issues, like restrictions to mail-in voting, changes to the Bright Future Scholarship, and what to do with Florida's share of federal COVID relief money. Mary Ellen Class is Tallahassee Bureau Chief for the Miami Herald. Mary Ellen, I wanted to start by asking you, we think looking at this uh, legislative session, we're kind of at the halfway mark. Can you just real quick, just kind of give us a, a sense of what are some of the big issues that lawmakers have tackled so far and what remains for them as, uh, as they uh, try to finish out the session? Well, it's been a very interesting session because it is the first time, obviously, the legislature's met in the midst of a global pandemic. And it's very interesting because they don't see their role as really responding to the pandemic. They see their role as responding to what they can do to change the laws to make it easier for people who are affected by the pandemic. So last week, we saw the first bill that was signed relating to the pandemic was a liability bill that basically gives companies and, and governments immunity from any liability related to claims against them because of COVID-related issues, as long as they made a good faith effort to do all the right things, according to the CDC. So that was the first bill that came through. And um, the result is that there hasn't been much other dis- else relating to how we should look at this pandemic going forward, what kinds of gaps have there been in in the state's handling of it. There hasn't been any accountability, really, um, or questioning of how the state's handled it. So that's been kind of an interesting dynamic to watch. And in other ways, we're seeing uh, some issues that are getting play in other uh, Republican-dominated legislatures around the country uh, we're also seeing bills related to those in Florida. I'm thinking particularly, there are a couple here we can talk about, but first, the, certainly the, the changes to voting in Georgia have gotten a lot of attention. There are measures that are being uh, discussed in Tallahassee right now that wouldn't go to the extent of some of the changes that we're seeing in Georgia, but they would certainly limit uh, the use of, uh, of drop boxes for, uh, for absentee ballots and uh, also make some other changes to the voting process. Yes, and um, it's been interesting because the first versions of those voting reform measures came out and were very broad. They've been somewhat whittled down, but not entirely. And it, it's because Florida has a tradition of allowing vote by mail and encouraging vote by mail. And there's almost, and it was mostly encouraged for the last 20 years by Republicans. So there is like a muscle memory among the most loyal Republican voters, many of them 
older voters in the state who have been used to voting that way. And so this idea that they are now going to require everybody to um, reapply really was going to limit their ability to reach Republican voters as well. So we've seen them pull back on that somewhat, and, and we haven't seen the broad restraints that we've seen in Georgia, the limiting access to voting hours, Sunday voting, that kind of thing. Instead, they're, they're wanting to make it a little harder for people to deliver their ballot. They're trying to limit, you know, the access to these drop boxes. And, and those bills are going to be up again this week and in the Senate where they really hadn't moved too much. And we're going to see what kinds of changes come as a result of that. I do think that there is, everybody's watching, watching Georgia, watching the corporate reaction to Georgia's voting reforms. And because Florida is, is such a tourist state, because it's so dependent on conventions, for example, for, for reviving its tourism economy, I think they're going to be a little bit wary about looking like they're doing, they're going too far. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out. We've got another four weeks to go, and that's a long time. You mentioned the corporate response and some of the criticism uh, in Georgia toward major companies that are based in Georgia, like Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola, is that, that they weren't outspoken enough when these bills were kind of moving through the process that they waited until they were signed into law. Have we seen Disney? Have we seen any other major Florida-based companies publicly express any concern about these bills? Not yet. No. And that's a really good question. Um, if there is serious concern, you'd think they'd want to speak up at this point. Um, it doesn't seem to be on their public-facing radar, let's just say. They may be working behind the scenes. I do know that there is a pushback um, on the original bill and among Republicans, and, and so it got scaled back. Instead of requiring people to reapply every year, they're allowing it to happen every um, election cycle in the latest version of the, of the bill. But the key thing is, is it requires everybody to reapply starting next year. So that means that there's hundreds of thousands more Democrats that voted by mail in 2020 than Republicans did. Ron DeSantis is very aware of the fact that he had a very slim majority and Many of, you know, if those people don't vote by mail, that may discourage enough people to not show up. So, you know, there's all of that at play, all the politics of it. So another trend nationally that we've seen with GOP-led legislatures are bills to limit the rights of transgender people. And the way that's playing out in Florida is uh, measures that uh, would prevent transgender girls and women from participating in women's high school and college sports? That's another interesting bill because um, it's moved in Florida legislature. It does seem to have the support of um, the House Speaker. It doesn't look like the governor is weighing in on this yet. But there's a big question about whether there will be the same backlash in Florida as there have been in other states is, you know, South Dakota of all places. Um, there was pressure from the state's business groups in that state who basically 
along with their chambers of commerce, argued that the bill, their, their version of, of a similar bill discriminates against transgender kids, and that might make it difficult for, you know, the National Collegiate Athletic Association and high school uh, athletic associations to be able to convene events there. And so uh, the Republican, conservative Republican governor of South Dakota says she feared a lawsuit. So they pulled back on that legislation. Um, so we'll see if that emerges in Florida. Sometimes what happens is these things, these discussions happen out of the limelight and bills just sort of quietly don't get agenda. <laughs> right. You know, so, so they just kind of quietly die. So let's go back to the pandemic response, because one of the things that, that lawmakers are going to have to decide is how Florida spends its share of uh, money from the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that President Biden signed into law last month. And there's some other issues related to that and taxes that we can get into in a, in, in a minute. But as I understand it right now, uh, you have the governor has proposed his plans for spending a chunk of that money, including bonuses for teachers and first responders uh, and some other things. But then when you break it down by the House and the Senate, one chamber has figured that money into their spending plan for their budget proposal and one chamber hasn't. Right. And the other, the problem with looking at the budget at this stage is that it is a day premature at this point. Um, tomorrow on Tuesday, we will get the, the revenue estimate. Florida economists will meet and give us their most reliable projection for what Florida's revenue will look like in the next two years. Um, that revenue projection it was last done in December when the state's economy was still very slow, when they didn't see the recovery that we've watched happen in the last few months, when the federal stimulus money hadn't arrived yet. And so, you know, the state was doing better than many projected and has done better than, than certainly we thought a year ago. But um, there is an estimated lag in that revenue. And so we're going to see additional money be added. So that means that this federal money that comes in will be applied. You know, we, we have the recurring money from the revenue forecasters. They'll be able to lay that on top of the budget. And then the federal money will be able to be used differently. And I think that, that that's where the two approaches will come together. I think it's all really just premature to make too many conclusions about uh, where they are right now on the budget. So there's also a there's a provision in the uh, the federal bill that prevents states from uh, using their share of the stimulus money to finance tax cuts. And Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody has joined her Republican colleagues in other states in in, in challenging that provision. How likely is that that court challenge to succeed? You know, I think that is one of those um, ideological fights that is likely to take a long time before it moves through. The amount of tax cuts um, in Florida's budget, it's it's kind of a shell game. So they don't have to, you know, the, the federal money is not recurring, um, which means it's going to it's going to be a one time bump in the state revenue, but any tax cut you have could recur year after year. And the state has to be able to finance that. 
So I, I don't think it's very likely that Florida's um, legislators are with good conscience are going to put this one-time money into a recurring tax cut. So while this lawsuit is an ideological fight, I don't think it has practical implications for our budget at this point. This is Florida Matters, and this week we're speaking with Mary Ellen Class of the Miami Herald. Our conversation continues in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. We're getting an update on Florida's legislative session from Mary Ellen Class, Tallahassee Bureau Chief at the Miami Herald. One of the issues I know that you've you've been tracking is this issue of preemption, where the state basically passes laws to prevent local governments from doing certain things. Some of the examples of that would be limiting the the emergency powers that that cities and counties have. There's also this fight down in Key West over uh, restricting uh, cruise ships coming in and out of uh, Key West. What are some of the other ways that you've seen this this preemption fight crop up? It's really happened on a large scale this session. Um, I mean, it's, it's showing up in all kinds of places. There is a few bills moving through that are being pushed by oil and gas industry, the utility, the, the state's big utility companies that would make it harder for local governments to impose kind of green energy standards, green energy goals. And if they do implement ordinances that restrict building codes, for example, um, from using fossil fuel energy forms or, or trying to encourage that, um, these, these bills would preempt that. That's one area. There's also things happening in a very controversial bill. It's called the anti-riot bill that was first promoted by Governor DeSantis um, and is now a top priority of House Speaker Sprawls. It is designed to increase penalties on people who turn peaceful protests to violent protests. And tucked into that bill is a preemption against local governments from reducing their police budgets. So that's kind of a preemption on what the right has called defunding the police. And then there's other proposals that are out there. We're awaiting the behind the scenes activity on a gambling bill that would give the Seminole Tribe of Florida um, a new gaming compact and in return offer many new options for the paramutuals in the state. And integral to that agreement is an is a preemption bill that would basically tell Miami Beach that you cannot prevent a casino license being transferred from Broward to Miami Beach. I mean it's that kind of scope for these preemption bills. They're all over the place. Uh, one of the other big issues is education and changes to the Bright Futures Scholarship. There was a, a bill that would have really radically changed it and, and uh, even would have um, prevented college students in certain majors from using that scholarship. I know that's been uh, been scaled back a, a little bit, but th- kind of the bigger change is how the scholarship is funded and how much of an education it would actually pay for for, for students who receive it. 
Right. Um, you know, it was, that was a really interesting bill to watch because um, that, that, the, the way I heard it from folks is that this was one of those bills where Senate leadership was all gung-ho about they were going to reform Bright Futures um, and use it to t- kind of steer people into majors that they thought would be, you know, more productive or whatever. And um, legislators and senators started because because they spend so little time right now being distracted by people coming up to the Capitol and, and talking to them. They're spending more time talking to each other and getting pressure from some of these local groups. And they heard so much opposition um, to that proposal that they pulled it back. And now what remains is the, the financial um, changes in, in that bill. It currently covers about 75 to 100% of a student's tuition costs. They say they want to keep the flexibility, but limit how much it's, it's covering. You know, it's again perceived as a entitlement that I think many Republicans have grown to not favor. Um, but it's enormously popular and it has become a foundation for so many young people coming into the system for the last two decades that, um, I think it's really going to be hard for them politically to make significant changes that diminish um, the number of people who are eligible for it. So as we head into the final weeks of the session, are there any bills, any issues that haven't popped up so far that, as I think, as you said, answer to a question I asked earlier, might come as like a last minute surprise that might jump out of, uh, jump out of the woodwork? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there always will be. Um, this session especially, there is so much going on behind the surface. And for reporters, it's especially difficult because there's no lobbyists roaming the Capitol because they're mostly not allowed in. So all of their conversations are happening behind the scenes. And so we, we miss that, you know, occasional encounter with somebody where they say, oh, did you know? Um, and, and it's the same with legislators. Um, so there's just, there's so much going on behind the scenes. And I, I think it's probably one of the least transparent sessions in Florida history as a result. We just don't have any idea um, who they're talking to, how they're talking to people, and who's who's influencing them. So there, because of that, I do expect there's, there's going to be surprises, lots of them, and it's going to be hard for us to track. The, the other thing I think um, that is it's going to be interesting to watch is there are both of the both the Senate President Wilton Simpson and House Speaker Chris Sprawls are really nice people, and they come across as you know friendly and and really cooperative with with each other. But I think they're both doing a pretty good job of kind of playing the legislative chess match pretty well, and they've set up what their priorities are and how they're going to trade um, their priorities. So those are the things that we're going to watch. I, I think, for example. While Chris Sprawls wants this anti-riot act, Senate President Simpson is kind of quietly pushing this bill that would, that's called an expansion of the Right to Farm Act that would give the sugar industry increased protections from lawsuits. Because that bill moved in the House last week, the, uh, the Senate then moved Sprawls' anti-riot act bill, 
you know, gave it a committee hearing. So those are the kinds of deals that happen in this tug of war. And it's, it's classic uh, legislative process. And as you mentioned, you know, one of the criticisms of Florida state government is because Tallahassee is so far from the population centers of the state that it it's dominated by special interests, by lobbyists, by the people who can kind of camp out there during the legislative session and bend the ear of, of lawmakers. But because of COVID, they can't do that necessarily or do it in kind of the transparent way that that uh, reporters and, and others can uh, can see. Right, right. And, you know, I would hope that legislators would do a little more self-reflection and suggest that maybe they should be doing um, a better job of informing people about what their daily calendar looks like. Who are they meeting with? Who are they talking with? Who's on the Zoom meetings? That hasn't been a priority. Um, I would suggest it's the same with the administration. You know, it's just, um, it's a very different time. Uh, and I think we are at a critical point with our sunshine laws where the public needs to tell their elected representatives how much they value it and expect it or it's going to continue to be dismembered and dismantled. We, we continue to see um, a lot of legislation moving through that would create exemptions. The latest exemption is a bill, and we need to give this more attention, but it's a bill that would exempt um, the legislator's addresses from the public record. And they say that's a, that is a security precaution. But think about this. If you don't know where your legislator lives, how do you know, you know, that redistricting is working to move them into a place that's more favorable or that they don't really live in their district? You know, uh, there's no way to, to be accountable for that. And I can tell you that there are few in government, in, in, in state government, that want to be that kind of a check on the legislature. So if it isn't the public and the press, um, it's not going to happen. And that bill is moving. So, you know, those are those are some of the, the downsides, I think, to this this particular session. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. That was Miami Herald Tallahassee Bureau Chief Mary Ellen Klaus. Longtime political reporter William March has been following some of the local developments in the legislature. We spoke via Zoom. I'll start with with Senator Jeff Brandis of, of St. Petersburg. He's someone who is uh, term limited in his service from the Senate, and uh, he's a Republican, but maybe not necessarily towing the GOP line on uh, on some issues. Can you give an example of where maybe he's uh, he's bucking the party a little bit? Jeff Brandis has has made something of a reputation as a maverick for himself in this session. One of the key issues that he descended on was. Uh, a $140 million cut to the budget of the Department of Corrections that would require closing four prisons. And Brandis has objected to this. The significance of it really is that the Republic, under Republican leadership in the legislature, things are usually very tightly scripted. You don't get public disagreements. And, and uh, Brandis has been involved in a couple of fairly dramatic public disputes in committee meetings recently. Well, let's go back to the to the issues we talked earlier with Mary Ellen Class, uh, and uh, one of the issues that she's been following are these preemption 
uh, bills where the state legislature is essentially coming in and making it harder for city and county governments to do certain things. And one of the ways that we're seeing that play out uh, in the Tampa Bay region has to do with impact fees. And that's led by a Republican by from uh, Indian Rocks Beach. What's the story there? It's another uh, in a long string of, and, and this one hasn't passed yet. It's an attempt at another in a long string of preemptions by the legislature, where the legislature takes for itself powers previously handled by local government. Uh, the state now controls tree ordinances, has long controlled any kind of ordinances pertaining to firearms. And there are many other areas, regulation of uh, overnight rentals, for example. The latest one, Representative DeSegley has introduced legislation that would limit the annual increases in impact fees. Uh, this is significant to Hillsborough County because Hillsborough County is in the process of raising substantially raising a number of its impact fees, fees charged to developers for new developments, new homes, for example. And the legislation could have an impact on whether Hillsborough is able to continue its program of raising those fees, which it says historically have been way too low. And then some other preemption bills that affect the Tampa Bay region, uh, there's some that would limit the uh, local government's abilities to impose uh, uh, clean energy requirements, and that includes some that, uh, that have been uh, floated here in, uh, in our region. That's right, and these would limit the ability of governments to impose goals such as goals for reductions in their carbon footprints, goals for reaching 100% or certain levels of non-fossil fuel energy use. Any other uh, local issues, local lawmakers that you're paying attention to as we head into the final weeks of the session? The budget is the issue and local projects by legislators, it's, it's a common phenomenon every year. Legislators want to put their own projects, bring pork home to their own districts and they put in projects to benefit their constituents or organizations in their area. And there's been somewhat less of that this year because of the state's budget problems. One big question will be how the state government uses the federal relief money uh, that it's been getting for the pandemic and whether that money will provide kind of a cushion. Uh, it could affect things like University of St. Florida, St. Petersburg wants to assemble a new marine sciences center um, that would include its existing rather highly reputed marine sciences academic program. There's also a question about a lot of urban transportation projects that have been put off because of budget problems. Um, and at the same time, though, that those projects are being put off, so far, work is still going forward on the proposal for three brand new large toll roads uh, across Florida. Now, among the projects that have been delayed is a redo of the West Shore Interstate 275 interchange. So question is, will those toll roads continue? There's been legislation to repeal them. Uh, the fate of that is uncertain right now. And the fate of a lot of transportation projects could hinge on that decision. Well, thank you as always. We appreciate it.
Well, I enjoy it. That was political reporter William March. And that's Florida Matters for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week.